Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The wait is over. A triple header of fun is upon us this week. Football's in effect. The NBA Finals are here. And the MLB playoffs are in full swing. You might go to some of these games, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on everything from game spreads, totals to teams, player coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. You are listening to the bird calls on the Armchair All American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search the bird calls, and subscribe today. Welcome to an emergency edition of The Bird Calls. Uh, we'll be talking about, of course, the big news to, um, today with Drew Holiday being traded and a number of other things as the Pelicans get ready for the 2020 draft tomorrow. Uh, with me, as always, uh, David Fisher and Kevin Barros and our editor-in-chief at thebirdrights.com, Ali Cosell. Gentlemen, a very uh, busy day that started late into the uh, – well, early into – today um this happened around midnight uh, last night uh and drew holiday traded of course to the milwaukee bucks for a bevy of picks and players and we will get into that in a moment but first i give each of you guys an opportunity to just talk about drew holiday um his time in new orleans and and what it means uh that he's moving on um Kevin, I'll start with you because you're the most fan-centered of the four of us. So I want to get it from your perspective first and foremost. Yeah, I mean, I've said all along, I understood both sides of either keeping him or getting rid of him. I could see the argument on either end. Um, It seemed that the writing was on the wall, that he was moving on towards the, you know, towards the end of the bubble. It felt like that was the right move to make. Um... And, uh, you know, I'll always love Drew Holiday. Um, I think he's a great player. Um, I think he's an incredible person. Um, I, I'm sad that he didn't get the accolades that he deserved down here. Um, he didn't get a lot of awards and things that he should have probably gotten um, because we didn't win and because the spotlight is so small on New Orleans. But, you know, I think the, the main thing I'll always remember about him is – that four game sweep of Portland that that'll go down to some of the greatest moments in this team's history, you know, including the Hornets era. Um, so, you know, I, I look fondly on that. In fact, you know, I've been having it pinned to my uh, Twitter account for a while now, but I have that sort of ode that I wrote to him following that right on the heels of that sweep. So if you're interested in reliving th- those moments, um, that's a good place to go. If you're, um, want to look back fondly on some of the, uh, you know, on the 
clearly the best Drew times, but, you know, watching him play defense was incredible. But I also really enjoyed um, watching him get to the rim. You know, that's one of my favorite things is guys creating with the dribble to get to the rim for a layup. That's like the most beautiful thing to me in basketball. I think that comes from my skateboarding background. It's, it's kind of like skateboard line-ish, you know? Um, so that's why like, I enjoy watching Kyrie Irving and stuff like that. But Drew really is kind of underrated in that ISO one-on-one get to the rim mode. And um, I really appreciated it. And I'm happy for him to go to a great organization like the Bucks. They've been very successful and hopefully he has a lot of success over there as well. Ali, um, you know, you and I have watched Drew together for a number of years now um, from our perch on Media Row. Um, and we've had a lot of conversations over the years about Drew. Um, and I'll get into my thoughts in just a second, but um, I'd love to get your take now just on on the beginning and the ending of, of the Drew Holiday era. It's it, it really closes the door on a very specific time uh, for this franchise. No, it does. And you're right. It's an interesting trajectory. If you over just look over his last was seven years, right? He spent a full seven years in New Orleans. And I'll be honest with you, I was one of the first to really climb on board. I don't know if fans, if they remember, but they weren't too happy with the direction Dell Demps took that summer in trading uh, Nerland's Noel in the future first round pick that became Alfred Payton for Drew Holiday. And then he uh, also traded for Tyreek Evans that summer. Like I said, fans were not too excited about that quick rebuild. And of course, you know, looking back in hindsight, yeah, it didn't work out. But like I said, I was always a fan of Drew's because I, I always watched him play for Philly. Philly was always one of my teams I liked to watch ever since Allen Iverson played. And I just liked the way he played. He played just tenaciously on both sides of the ball. And Philly drew, boy, he had no fear. I don't know if people remember that guy, but the one year where uh, they trade away Andre Iguodala and he basically became the de facto number one guy. You know, he lived up to billing. He didn't always have good shooting nights, but you know what? He still took those shots and he always remained aggressive. And you know what? He was re- rewarded with an all-star campaign. So I always thought the potential was there for him to be like one of the best players in the league, honestly, like maybe top 15 or so. Uh, but as we saw his career unfold here, injuries kind of marred that, but also, you know, you kind of then saw, I think, his true self emerge, and he wasn't really that aggressive guy, especially offensively, right? Always taking a back seat, and he specifically had an opportunity to run with it last year. I mean, we've talked ad nauseum about it, how David Griffin anointed him, the face of the franchise, even talking about him potentially being in the running for an MVP. Well, of course, that didn't even come close to working out, but I'll always recall Drew Holiday fondly, and really, I think everybody should. If you're going to name the all-time greats in just this short time that New Orleans has had a franchise, you know, he's got to be mentioned. Once you get past Chris Paul, and I know fans, as we were just talking about, David, don't want to admit it, but Anthony Davis deserves to be up there, David West. But the next name that should come up in everybody's minds is Drew Holiday's. Just look at the number of games played. He's fourth all-time New Orleans history. Same with minutes. Um, but then he's also a leader in certain other areas like field or three point field goals and such, you know, he's right up there with points, steals, you name it. So the guys left the mark, made a mark, but he also did not just on the court, off the court. I can't recall. I mean, I know Chris Paul did a lot, but what Drew Holiday did, especially over his last year or so, I think is unparalleled to any other New Orleans Hornet slash Pelican in our lifetimes. And 
he's living on good terms, right? He never asked for a trade. You know, he, he never left like Anthony Davis, certainly, and not even like Chris Paul, right? We understand why Chris Paul left, and I think a lot of fans should understand ownership was bad, but still, he kind of walked away from fans here in New Orleans. Drew Holiday did none of that. So I, I think he's honestly going to be regarded as one of the best, maybe most favorite Pelicans for a lot of people, and he deserves to be. So, yeah, I think he deserves his accolades. And like you brought up, David, I think like some other fans have said on Twitter, social media, that they would like to see his number retired. I think it makes sense. Yeah, I'm going to give you the last word, Fish, but I'm going to go ahead and say mine now. Um, you know, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I've been all over the place at times with Drew Holiday. Um, I was really harsh on him when I first started covering the team because I was one of those people who did not like the trade. I didn't like the drafting of Nerlens Noel either, um, but uh, I, I didn't like that trade at that time. And it was hard for him to, to prove it for a while because of the injuries and the things that were happening initially, um, just the fit with the other guys that were on the court, the chaos that went along with the franchise for a lot of the years that he was in New Orleans. I mean, you could, you could pretty much say that five out of his seven years this franchise was in some sort of turmoil um, or some kind of upheaval. Um, but through all of that, I think the things that you remember most about Drew are, are, you know, those, not just that series, but those individual moments. And I think, uh, you know, there were people posting them today that that possession against um, Buddy Heald at the Smoothie King Center, um, just, just those games, those, those moments that only Drew could do, whether it was certain dunks or steals or just, you know, locking somebody down that just resulted in a 24 second violation, um, big shots at certain times. I think the thing about Drew is that he is kind of, in a lot of ways, the symbol of those seven years. Um, Likeable players at times. um, Potential that never got met. um, Injuries that, I mean, like, that's the mining period of of those seven years. A team that just could never get it together. And in some ways on the court, it feels like we never got to see the maximum of what Drew Holiday could be. All that aside... Yeah, he's Mr. Pelican in my mind. And when people, when I talk about retiring jerseys and I say Drew Holiday belongs in that group and people say, well, he doesn't want to have a championship. He doesn't have, and I, you know, a bunch of all-star appearances. And I say, look, Nate McMillan's jersey is hanging in, in Seattle, what was retired by Seattle before they moved to Oklahoma City. It wasn't because Nate McMillan was the greatest basketball player who ever lived. He certainly isn't one of the 10 best Sonics who ever played. But there's something about what you mean to a franchise and what you mean to a city. And in that regard, I think you place Drew Holiday in a similar, similar category as you would Archie Manning, but better. Drew is more accomplished than what Archie Manning was for the Saints. Um, but is that kind of figure here in New Orleans, beloved, um, no matter what the team did, people like Drew. Uh, they like his family. They like the way he carries himself, the way he's represented himself and the franchise. And I think if Drew ever wants to come back to New Orleans in any manner, if he wants to join the front office one day, I, if, if this still if this group is still in charge, I'd imagine they'd be happy to have him on board in some capacity. I doubt that's what he wants to do. But Drew will always have a home in New Orleans um, in that regard. And it's in that way, like I said, it's the end. It, 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 I think it officially closes the book um, on the the Del Demps um, era and the uh, Tom Benson era in that regard um so it, it's it is the the closing of a chapter um but hey that's that's 
pro sports. Fish, I'm going to give you the last word. Your thoughts on, on um, Drew the Pelican and just moving forward now without him. I mean, I've been here um, with Drew. I, was, I remember I was at his first game um, as a New Orleans Pelican. And the big joke was, one, they gave him the mic to kind of introduce the team. Um, and he said, me and my Sixers <laughs> right there in New Orleans, even though he'd been with the with the team essentially for like five months. Um, so that's kind of just like a funny Drew. But he, he laughed it off and his teammates are in the background just howling um, when it happened. Um, so that was the start of the of the Drew experience. Unfortunately, the end of the Drew experience happened in, in the bubble with like – Nobody realized really that like Drew has played his last game um, at the Smoothie King Center. Um, I'm like I'm like Kevin. I mean that that Portland series is kind of etched in my mind as that's 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 going to be my memory of Drew. And honestly, you can you can I, I think it's very reasonable to say that that was Drew Holiday's peak as an NBA player. I mean he was completely shutting down far more heralded um, point guards on one end. Um, and he was still doing pretty much whatever he wanted on the other end offensively mm-hmm. in terms of, I mean, what does that mean to be the cornerstone of a franchise over seven years and their greatest accomplishment is one playoff series win? Like, what does that really mean? Um, long term when you look back at the history of of the franchise and i mean when we look back i think it's going to be pretty much the dell demps era is the ad and drew holiday team and then you know pretty much within a little over 12 months i mean two off seasons um after dell demps is gone um all vestiges have also been removed from the team, assuming that the Pelicans don't re-sign Frank Jackson, which is honestly a critical off-season goal for the franchise yes. at this point. Did you have to somehow <laughs> include Frank Jackson in this? Come on. Yes, uh, no. absolutely. We're, we're riding well, the well, well, we're, we can't talk about Drew Holiday and what he means to the team and not mention the fact that Frank Jackson <laughs> being his bag boy for the last three years is a huge part of the of of the Drew Holiday mystique. I mean, that's that's why Frank but might be one of the reasons why Frank Jackson is still on the team because you guys see an NBA player there. I mean, he's an elite bag holder. So now, I mean, should Drew Holiday's jersey be retired? I mean, is the cornerstone of every franchise um, during any period retired? I mean, I, I think it's a it, it's it's a stretch to ask that. I mean, uh, are the Bulls going to retire Derrick Rose's jersey? Yeah, I mean, he won an MVP. You know, took him to a conference finals. But are they going to retire? He's Taj also a Chicago Gibson? local. Yeah, he's also. But are they going I mean, to? Are they going to retire the like Taj Gibson's number? Because I mean, no, no. But let me <laughs> look, but look. You you can go through. There are there are a number of players that if I told you their jersey was retired, some of them you wouldn't be able to recognize their names. Mm-hmm. And it's about, it's about the individual franchise. There are mm-hmm. people, and again, it's, a, it's, not all, it's not just a stats-related thing. It's about, look, Udonis Haslam will probably get his jersey retired by the Miami Heat. Mm-hmm. And well he put, has no stats sure. to speak of. 
He has or no accomplished. It doesn't even have to be accomplished. Right. That's why I like that's what I'm saying. He has nothing. Example. But he's missed, that's what. Yeah. Drew is this. He's the Nate McMillan, and it's it's the same reason like Billy Martin got his jersey retired by the Yankees. Billy Martin wasn't an All Star. He's not in the Hall of Fame, but his number one is retired as a player because of what his attitude meant, and he was Casey Stengel's guy. And there are things that just mean something. Bob Love is has his jersey retired. Joe Jerry Sloan. They didn't even win anything. Yeah. But Bob Love, you know what I'm saying? So it's it's the criteria is different for franchise to franchise. And I think it's about meaning in the individual space. There are certain players that the numbers just make it unquestionable. But I think it, it's it's a franchise to franchise question. And will people always talk about when you talk about the players? The same way with Archie Manning. You don't have a single, there's not a single winning season in Archie Manning's history. You know what I mean? But he's the most beloved saint for no other reason than he's Archie Manning. Yeah, no, I, I see that. And I mean, I don't know, at, at some point, like I'm not saying don't retire his jersey. I'm just saying we have to truly measure, you know. Oh, what he wouldn't be first. He wouldn't no. be first. No. <laughs> I mean, like like Ollie was, uh, um, I think it was Ollie that was saying, you know, that that Portland series was was the peak of, uh, of of the franchise in New Orleans. Like I remember um Chris Paul's last year here, um, the series against the Lakers, the Lakers. and him mm-hmm. isolating against um Kobe Bryant and them, you know, pulling off a victory at home was a huge it felt like a huge thing and that Chris Paul was traded eight months later. So um and I mean you can't well, remember I David mean, West had blown out his knee. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And yeah, he, I mean, that's Carl Landry was Carl Landry, and, and, and they went six games with the Carl Lakers. And Aaron they went Gray. Six, yeah, they went six <laughs> games with the Lakers. If West is healthy, I think they win that series. Um, yeah, but that was that yeah. was a very different Lakers team at that point. Yeah. So true. Um, but I mean, I mean, the late the the Hornets, the Chris Paul um, Hornets with um, Byron Scott as coach, you know, mm-hmm. when they took San Antonio to the ropes, I, I would think that that's still kind of the peak of the franchise thus mm-hmm. far. But that also demonstrates how low the peak is. And as we as we're wrapping up kind of the Drew thing and moving on to the future, how much headspace there is for the franchise to go like made the western conference finals would be immediately the greatest accomplishment in the franchise's history here in new orleans like mm-hmm. that's that's the bar i mean the the nuggets accomplished that um just last year so mm-hmm. i mean it's and the blazers the year before and <laughs> exactly and so i mean that's that's kind of that that's where they need to get well first they need to get into the playoffs and i yeah. think that now we should start talking about how are they going to get into the playoffs and what are they going to do with everything they got for drew holiday all right so let's move on with that then and ali uh i want to start with you on this um milwaukee was not one of the teams that we talked about during our our um series of podcasts on possibilities for trading drew we didn't focus on them and for what folks who don't know and they kind of came at us and were like oh y'all didn't even we did discuss milwaukee internally we just didn't see a positional fit from on their roster of assets that we like liked um 
I, I think we were all kind of not surprised in the fact that it was Milwaukee, but Ali, I was, I mean, I, I'll say surprised that it was Milwaukee. What were your thoughts when you heard that it was Milwaukee? Um, and, and, and for, for, before we get into the picks, just that team and that destination, it just seemed to be off the radar considering what we thought Griff wanted going in. Yeah. The biggest surprise obviously was that with teams like Milwaukee, you didn't expect there to be something David Griffin was eager to trade for. And you certainly didn't expect the package that he ended up getting. So that's why, in essence and in hindsight, you can't really say you're surprised because the the uh, offer that David Griffin received was so much bigger and larger than really any of us projected. And a lot of people, we, you know, I was laughing with David before we started this podcast that it was funny how Fish was getting uh, stones hurled at him from both sides. Pelicans fans kept on saying, hey, you're not getting nearly enough for Drew Holiday and fans from opposing teams are saying you're crazy. You're asking for too much. So we thought we had found like kind of the right ground, right? When both sides kind of disagree like that, you think you're somewhere in the middle, the good middle right. that GMs are probably going to be able to get. But obviously we were wrong and the market was much stronger. And you know what? We had heard rumors that there were teams very interested and David Griffin was going to be able to get his haul as recently as, well, just two days ago on NBA weekend on Sunday on NBA radio. Um uh, what's his name? Brian uh, Gelsweiler. He had literally stated, I listened to the bit. He said that, look, David Griffin expects to get a lot for Drew and there's a lot of teams interested and look what happened. The guy or a team out of nowhere came out and said, here's three first round picks and two uh, first round pick swaps. So, yeah, I mean, if from one extent, yeah, you can understand, David, like you were saying, we didn't call Milwaukee. But then again, looking back, obviously we're not in the wrong here because, like I said, couldn't have expected no this windfall. This, it was a windfall the Pelicans got. Yeah, there's just no way anyone could have predicted that Milwaukee would pay this steep a price for Drew Holiday. There's just no way you could have anticipated that because, as you can see, the amount of picks alone, like this is similar. I mean, people are judging this as like they almost got more for this. Then they got for Anthony Davis in some as far as the picks go, certainly the quantity of picks, the player level of players isn't the same caliber, but the picks alone, this is an incredible haul for Drew Holiday. Kevin, we start with the player assets on in this regard. Um, first, you can comment on, on what you thought of Milwaukee itself as the partner, but the pieces that are coming back in Eric Bledsoe and George Hill, your initial reaction to those pieces and do you think either of them or both of them are in a Pelicans uniform when the season starts? Okay. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I'll say is Milwaukee is a surprise because, you know, you think from what we heard uh, was that you want to move up in the draft. Uh, you want a young core piece and maybe a role player. So you would think that even Chenzo was going to be coming here um, that you you know, if, if Milwaukee was making a deal and then it was very hard to envision a world where you're going to be able to move up in the draft with the Milwaukee package. But the thing that surprised me so much about it is is that it shows a lot of patience on Griffin's part and Freedon's part because um, the, a lot of the picks that you're getting are way far in the future. Now you can trade those for other things in advance, but it's like really setting up for if you were to keep those, for like, you know, 
way in the future planning when you're dealing with uh with kind of what seemed to be more of a win now situation so that was what was the most surprising thing for me with this um and then when we look at the players i'm a big george hill fan i i really like him and i hope that we do keep him unless we're moving him for something that's really going to move the needle for us because when i look at him you look at um, what Stan Van Gundy did with Jameer Nelson, and I think George Hill would be a better version of that. And you're talking about a guy who shot 46% from three last year. You pair that with J.J. Redick and the improved shooting from um, Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. Now you're creating a lot of space for Zion when you move him down low offensively. Um, there's a lot of combinations you can play now. Um, and also, he's he's a solid defender. He's a very good veteran. I really like that acquisition. Um, my initial plan, well, before it was even before we hired Stan Van Gundy for the offseason, involved acquiring George Hill for those reasons. Because I, I felt like we should be targeting perhaps another young playmaker um, and then have George Hill be that sort of combo guard and sort of veteran leadership at that in the in the guard locker room along with JJ, JJ was shipped out um, to to create that. So I, I really like Hill. I mean, there's moves I see that would make sense uh, for the team to move Hill, but I kind of hope we hang on to him. Bledsoe, on the other hand, I you know when we first uh, when we traded Chris Paul to the uh, Clippers. There was a lot of talk that Bledsoe was was going to be part of the trade, or that Dell was really angling for Bledsoe, trying to get him to be part of the trade, and it just didn't work out. But I was like really high on acquiring Bledsoe then, and and a few years later too, I was also still in high on acquiring him. Um, but now, the time frame in which we're acquiring him, it feels very Nickish in a sense that it's like past the past the time that you want to have and it's like a few years past when you would have really liked to have had him um i do believe he has been acquired to be packaged and moved on i don't think they plan on keeping him around although i would say that you know he's probably the best backup point guard that we've had in years since we've had you know collison backing up chris paul for that that run or perhaps you know Tyreek Evans when he was healthy and sort of viewed as a backup uh point guard um so there is some he does bring some value to this team I just don't know how well he fits um and I and like I said I believe he's here to be moved as as contract fodder how does a uh, contract ballast as fish likes to say um <laughs> But he, you know, he has some value for some other teams, some some teams that need a, a point guard to help their young guys develop, or you know, a reserve point guard, um, a, a, another guy who can play defense in the backcourt. Um, he had a very good year defensively last year, um, which is, you know, some a, a positive for having him around. I don't particularly like um, the way he plays offensively these days, um, or really ever. I guess I thought maybe he would change but he never really did um he never really developed that outside shot um but he is an aggressive guy who will attack the rim get to the line and and play perimeter defense for you if he does stick around at least for a year um or so and then the contract is is not as bad as some people think it is you know 17 million dollars for him 
isn't that bad. And then the last year of his contract, only four million of that is guaranteed. Um, so it makes it an easy, easily movable contract as well, um, because you know basically he becomes an expiring next year. Um, so you know it's it's not a bad haul. And then you add in those picks. Um, but I do definitely believe that by the time the draft comes around tomorrow, there will be a third or fourth team added to this deal and either um, Hill and or Bledsoe will be going somewhere else. Um, Fish, quickly, your thoughts on these two players, um, and then we'll get Ollie, and then we'll move on to uh, the bevy of draft picks. We're talking about uh, second team all defense, uh, Eric Bledsoe. I think we we need to clarify on that. But do we? But do we? Do those titles mean as much? I mean, we know this is a media vote, and it's it's mm-hmm. also it's cost players money. I, I I am not a fan of the vote of you know of it being that way, and it's certainly uh-huh. a political thing at times. So I mean, yeah, we could yeah, let you just evaluate them skill alone without the accolades. Then I mean, not to all be these Trump, but I believe it was an illegitimate vote that got him in there. You know, like uh, but. That being said, I do think he had a good defensive year. But right, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like the titles themselves. Yeah. Let's just evaluate him in the scope of his ability, and then this and his fit potentially with this. Okay, so um, what I'd say about Eric Bledsoe is, to me, he is a slightly cheaper, less offensively inclined version of Drew Holiday. I mean, there's there's a lot of similarity. Um, yeah, um, but the thing is, is that he's just as, if not thicker. Um, he doesn't slide to three or four um, with the relative ease that Drew Holiday does, but he can guard people much taller than himself. Um, he he's actually a substantially better rebounder than um, Drew Holiday if the Pelicans are looking to keep him. And he finds his way to the line more often than Drew Holiday does. Um, so there's there's some positives there. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be hurt if the Pelicans kept um, Eric Bledsoe on the team. I don't anticipate that that is the long term plan there. Um, but I would. The, I, I guess the issue is is if that if you keep him, then how are you going to find the minutes for the players? Um, because it gets like he's not a very good fit with Lonzo, but Drew Holiday wasn't necessarily a terribly good fit with Lonzo either. So um, he 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 presents a lot of the same strengths and weaknesses uh, as Drew Holiday did, and a lot of that honestly makes things it it doesn't make life easier on Lonzo if Lonzo is still in the long-term plans, which we have at this point, every reason to believe that he is Um, drew um, on George Hill, um, a great vet to have in your locker room. Uh, We, we have talked at length about the fact that the Pelicans don't have a reserve point guard that they can bring in and keep things moving that can be trusted yet. I think George Hill helps um, immensely in that regard. Um, and the other thing regarding both Bledsoe and Hill is the fact that the Pelicans essentially haven't added much, if any, salary at this point. 
what the two of them make combined is a just a little bit more than what Drew Holiday um, was going to make combined. So they've essentially split his salary into two smaller salaries that become easier to trade out to other places. Um, now, obviously, also much less valuable players, but um, I like the fit. I, I like like Kevin. I expect. George Hill is probably the one that's more likely to stay on the team. Um, but it, I, I don't see the Pelicans right now as currently constructed um, as substantially worse than they were before trading Drew Holiday. Uh, they just have a lot more future picks to, to work with. Ollie, I don't think that they're worse either, um, but I don't see Bledsoe as a fit. Uh, just his game, I don't, I don't see it working well in a motion-based offense. Um, and we've seen, particularly in the postseason, he's had trouble um, every year in his career. No matter where he's been in the postseason, he has underperformed compared to his regular season stats. Um, the thing I like about George Hill, to me, is that, yeah, not only is he as dependable in the backup, his cost is not extremely high um, financially. Like you said, he can shoot. But I think the biggest thing is he was the, the emotional leader of the Milwaukee Bucks in a lot of ways. When the protest came down, it was George mm-hmm. Hill who was in the middle of it. And this locker room has needed a, 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 some, a forceful person. You put George Hill along with the J.J. Reddick, and now you have two veteran voices who are unafraid to speak, unafraid to criticize, unafraid to, to point things out, have played deep into the playoffs, have been in franchises that know what winning is like. And they will not accept anything less at this point in their careers. So I like the benefit of keeping a George Hill. I just, for Eric Bledsoe, having watched him since he was at Kentucky and knowing his demeanor, knowing those, the, the limitations of his game, I just can't imagine, yeah, that he's with the Pelicans for long um, because he doesn't suit, suit any of their needs. He doesn't, he's not functional as a 30-minute-per-game starter. And I don't think he's come uh, to New Orleans at this stage of career where he was a starter last year for the league's best team to be a backup for the Pelicans. Ali? Yeah, you're pretty much taking all my points. <laughs> I Sorry. Tweeted, no, it's okay. I, I tweeted out in reference to, I started thinking about what if the Pelicans decide to keep one. And obviously, George Hill, I think you can make a much stronger case, which you guys have done a great job of already laying out. So, yeah, with the, between the locker room presence that he's going to provide for a team that I think definitely needs it, when you saw the lack of professionalism inside the bubble and something that Stan Van Gundy is going to mandate, just like he has in all of his stops, I started looking back at some articles, and sure enough, with the Pistons, there were several seasons where, boy, he's like, it's on the players. They have to have the responsibility to take this team to higher places, but – I think I regret on not having more veteran presence. And they highlighted the article highlight how he Detroit had hoped to bring in Al Horford and a few others, but it didn't happen. And, you know, in hindsight, they uh, regretted that, that decision. But yeah, I mean, there's no doubt George Hill would be an instant boost to basically just not only the atmosphere and environment, but also I think just with the players in general and connecting with them and being such a, um, such a socially aware guy to where, you know, a lot of young players nowadays, I think come in and they're a little naive with what's going on in the world. 
or just don't have a good understanding, but George Hill is the perfect bridge, right? He's going to give them that understanding, and then that's how you can kind of earn your trust. So, hey, I'm going to look at how this guy does his things and earns his keep, and, you know, sooner or later, that's going to help in the long run. That's a thought. But as for mini LeBron, Eric Bledsoe, yeah, I agree with Kevin's take. There was a time when you kind of wanted to buy into that potential because of that explosiveness, but those days are long gone. And you nailed my biggest point in that, yeah, how do you go from a starting point guard on a championship caliber team to going to a non-playoff team and backing up Lonzo Ball? I can't see it happening. So, yeah, I fully expect Bledsoe to get traded sometime between now and when the Pelicans start making the picks in the draft. All right, so the picks are the thing now. And Fish, first just to, to give people some type of perspective, because it is it's staggering to 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 list. But just mm-hmm. let's go through the Pelicans first rounds for the next decade. Or so. Okay. Uh, so yeah, when your Pelicans- daughter's gonna be in high school, right, Fish? What did you tweet or say oh, to us earlier? Goodness. She's gonna be a teenager. And the and the Milwaukee Bucks are still going to be owing um, the Pelicans picks. All right, this so is like this, I was just going to say this draft. is like the Bobby Bonilla contract of draft picks. Yes. Yeah, it's also when we'll get our next stimulus check is when we run out of Milwaukee Bucks picks. Oh man. So uh, this draft, um, 2020, the Pelicans currently in the first round have the 13th pick and the 24th pick. The 24th pick. Um, is originally from OKC, routed through Milwaukee to the Pelicans. Next year, the Pelicans have their own first-round pick. The Lakers pick, they have rights to, but the Lakers pick has reverse protections. It's protected 8 through 30. Um, I think it's reasonable to project that the Lakers will not be one of the seven worst teams in the NBA next year, Um, so that pick will roll over. So in 2022... The Pelicans will have their own pick and the Lakers pick, which will be completely unprotected. Um, For those of you keeping track, that will be LeBron in season 17. So 18, 19, it'll be LeBron after his 19th season in the NBA. The Pelicans have that pick unprotected in 2023. The Pelicans have their own first round pick and they have a swap right to the Lakers pick, which, well, so they have their own pick with a swap right to the Lakers pick. So if the Lakers are worse than the Pelicans in 2023, which is about the time we expect Zion to be at his peak and LeBron will be completing his 20th season in the NBA. And have better of those two picks in 2024, the Pelicans have their own pick um, with a swap right to the Milwaukee Bucks. So if the Pelicans are better than the Milwaukee Bucks in 2024, they can have the Bucks pick and then they send their own pick to Milwaukee. They also have rights to the Lakers pick, which is unprotected. And the Pelicans, if the Lakers happen to be too good in 2024, or they look like they're going to be terrible in 2025, the Pelicans have the right to defer that to the 2025 pick. In 2025, the Pelicans have unrestricted uh the unprotected pick from the milwaukee bucks and their own pick um and again if they didn't take the lakers pick from 2024 they can have it in 2025 that pick would also be unprotected in 2026 
this one's important because 2026, even if Giannis signs the Supermax, 2026 would be his last season under contract. So it's the most likely season that he would demand a trade and the Milwaukee Bucks would trade him. The Pelicans have swap rates. So in Giannis's last year, if the Milwaukee Bucks decide we're going to trade Giannis for a package of a whole bunch of future picks and stuff like that, and we'll tank, the Pelicans get the pick. And then in 2027, which let's say that Giannis plays his whole Supermax contract out, and Milwaukee Bucks says, we're just not going to trade you. We're going to ride her all the way out to the very bitter end. And then after that contract, he leaves in, re- un- in unrestricted free agency. The Milwaukee Bucks 2027 pick is also owed to the Pelicans completely unprotected. Um, To give that 2027 pick some perspective, the player that the Pelicans would select with that is probably 12 right now. Um, And what, sixth grade, fifth grade? So, um, and of course, the Pelicans have all of their own picks throughout that. Um, if I didn't outline it clearly, the Pel- none of the Pelicans' first-round picks right now are impacted. They just have swap rights, so that they'll have the better of the pick either with the Lakers or the Bucks. Fish that that right there is the unusual part—the amount of control that the Pelicans have over other teams' picks. That is really the 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 bounty that that Griff has pulled off in both of these seasons more than the player talent is having these um, assets and the ability to say, no, I don't want to use it right now. I can put that back on the shelf. Um, What's the downside to having the picks? Well, the, the downside to having the picks is if the Lakers and the Bucks continue to be good, the Pelicans will probably get late, late first round picks. And we could, we can hazard to guess that that 2022 pick that the Pelicans are likely to get from the Lakers is going to be unprotected. Yeah. A low first, but the 2024 pick four years from now. um, Yeah. All bets are off on that one. Cause I mean, both um, AD and LeBron's contract are going to be completely up at that point. The same with the Milwaukee Bucks pick, but, and the thing is, is that the picks owed also protect the Pelicans asset because the Lakers and the Milwaukee Bucks, since all these picks are owed, can't trade future picks to try to get better now to make their team better. It makes it substantially more difficult. Like the Milwaukee Bucks cannot trade a first round pick again until next next year. They'll be eligible to trade a swap rate for their 2028 pick. That's it because all of the rest of their picks are impacted. So it limits if, if the Milwaukee Bucks decide we're going to supermax Giannis and we're going to give Drew Holiday a max, this uh, not necessarily a max extension, but a very large extension, then they run out of cap space. Don't have future picks to trade to build the team around them. And we've seen how that plays out over the very shortly. Like, I mean, we saw how the Miami Heat came together and then blew apart within four years we saw how the golden state warriors you know 
they had the benefit of Steph Curry on that very, you know, bargain basement deal because his first extension was signed when he was still having the ankle issues. And so they could sign Kevin Durant and then it was gone in three years, like long-term success that we're talking about here, a franchise being good for four, five, seven years in Milwaukee is very rare. Um, Mm -hmm. Milwaukee can't say, oh, we're going to have Giannis and Drew Holiday. People come take, you know, come take massive discounts to come try to chase rings with us. That's that's not going to sell like it does if you're in Los Angeles or Miami or, you know, Golden State or something like that. And honestly, Giannis and Drew, I still don't. I, I'm looking at the Eastern Conference, and I don't think I would favor them over the Boston Celtics at this point. Um, I mean, because I mean, they got a souped-up Eric Bledsoe. I, I don't think that they've solved their problems at this point. Let's not get. Let's. let's, let's I want to give Kevin um, on this one. So, Kevin, mm-hmm. do you worry at at all? Um, that the Pelicans, yes, you always want to be planning for the future. You assets, and, and we've talked about this before, having more swings at the plate, you know, the ability to make errors um, and not suffer for them. Do you worry that this Pelicans could also potentially end up in a Danny Ainge type situation where you got three picks in this year's draft and nobody to give them to? You know, I don't think so. Just because we look at Ainge and, you know, he's been so reluctant to part with his with the prizes that he has remember he wouldn't trade terry rozier forever like he was hanging on to him because he felt he was so special and he you know so but when you look at griffin i mean griffin last offseason said that drew holiday was going to be an mvp candidate in the next season he trades him so i don't think he has that sort of mentality i think he's more of a wheeler and dealer and he's excited about that prospect. He enjoys that. And um, him and Trajan have done a good job so far with the trades that they've made. Um, so I think that they're, that it's not as much of a concern. And I think they set themselves up perfectly because, you know, they already have two stars. They have Zion and they have Brandon Ingram. And now they have the ability to full of Dell Dimps where they can trade for young vets with draft picks, but also not sacrifice the future because they have so many backup draft picks. And I think that's going to be the plan um, over the next, you know, five, six years as, you know, Zion enters his second contract and, and, and that, and they have that, that fallback option of never not having a first round pick, but still having the flexibility to move one and uh, grab a young player or, or, you know, a young vet player that's still on a rookie deal or, you know, on a decent deal to fit in with the core that they have. Um, and I, I think that's been the goal for them. And I think it's, you know, you get the best of both worlds. So I, I'm not concerned. I, I think it's a totally different mentality than Danny Angel has. David. Ollie, you're, yeah, go sorry, ahead. Yeah, I, I just want to jump in here because I kind of uh, am getting the vibe of what you're looking for in terms of the fear. You know, Boston... No, no, no. And- yeah, oh. I'm just, I mean, I'm just exploring it. I don't have a particularly entrenched position on it. I'm just exploring it. I got you. Yeah, well, I, I just feel like it is a great analogy to make to Boston and Danny Ainge because he acquired a war chest of draft picks <laughs> that everybody talked about, you know, starting from about like 2014 all the way up to basically several years ago. 
and only really one pan one one deal specifically panned out for him. And that was, of course, landing all those future first round picks in the trade with the Brooklyn Nets, right? Sending KG and Paul Pierce on down there. You know, that's where they got Jason Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown was via those two Brooklyn picks. But everything else, you know, there was always talk. Boston's going to make a big move. Oh, they got all these picks. They're going to come after Anthony Davis. You know, they rumored to be chasing Blake Griffin. And I forget, there are several other play- high-name players too. But you know what? He never pushed a button on him. But now looking back, what happened to all those picks, you know what? It hasn't been impressive. I mean, like I said, the only two that stand out to me are those two Brooklyn future first and Tatum and Brown. Everything else, you know, is still up for grabs. And even one of the picks that the uh, Celtics had last year, they traded – to move down and draft from 20 with Philadelphia for two Philadelphia picks that were a little bit later. And who did Philadelphia draft? Matisse Thibel. So I feel like that's the third best player <laughs> that came out of that whole draft chest. And he's not on Danny Ainge's team. So I feel like that's basically just the biggest thing that can go wrong, right? You make bad draft choices and or you don't cash them in when maybe you should have. But again, we're so far away from worrying about yeah, that. Yeah, of course. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, it's it, you know the main thing is that I think the the Pelicans' philosophy now is flexibility. Yeah, they're not even going to be. And David Griffin's made a point of that's what he wants to do, right? For at least the next they're, year or so. Yeah, because they're not beholden even to Zion Williamson at this stage. When you have this many picks, you can't be held hostage by a player because you say fine. Okay, like there's you don't certainly you don't want to give up a generational talent if that's what you feel you have, but you either have the ability to like always augment it by up offloading salary to make sure you can pay that guy or to bring in pieces, but at the same time it's like you are not de- dependent on a market that increasingly is players with shorter and shorter windows, and and if mm-hmm. players are going to do four year contracts and five year deals and move on, and that's just the way the business is going to go, then you have to be prepared for turnover. And I so on that end, the accumulation of picks is important. The main thing is how much have you invested in scouting? How much do you understand about your team identity? How much do you and, and that's been the other part that we've said is critical is identifying what does a New Orleans Pelican player look like? And I think that that's going to be the test of time uh, for the David Griffin administration um, is how do they de- determine what the rest of their players look like in the in the years to come? Um, because there are some things that he's had to inherit and change. Um, so um, that process, I think, is is a positive, is a net positive. But we also should talk about yeah. what a stylistic difference it is from Dell Demps, right? He Absolutely. Every but, asset after he got Anthony Davis basically landed in his lap by getting lucky in the lottery to then just squandering every single future round draft pick. That's to where so far Griffin hasn't even made a single move. I mean, I know we've only had Zion for one year. But by looking, from all accounts, he's still accumulating assets when everybody thought maybe he'd be spending them. Nope. He grabbed we a also, whole, whole bunch more from Milwaukee after getting all that from the AD deal with the Lakers. And we, but we also have to do this for Dell, too, and say we, we still do not know what he was allowed and not to do. You know, like if the edict was do these things. And oh, there was a win-now edict. Right. We for know sure. there was an yes. edict. But I'm just saying we don't know the, the details of the details because we've heard him. Now, you and I have heard him from Alvin's side. At times, we never really hear from Dell because he doesn't speak. That he mm-hmm. and he didn't speak. But Griff has been the one thing we can say definitively is that he's been given a different set of tools than what Dell was given. Now, what you do with those tools 
it is up to the architect and to the engineer. And that's what Griffin's going to have to figure out. Um, Dell couldn't get enough out of his tools, even though he probably didn't have enough tools. Griffin has been given an abundance of tools. So the expectation for him is don't screw right. this up. And we should credit ownership for that, right, David? Because that's the only reason why maybe something changed between Dell Demps and Griff. Remember, Griff wouldn't have taken any job. It had to be the perfect situation. We had 110% control. So that, and he's always talked about building a team organically. So you got to think that ownership from Tom Benson to Gale, somewhere somebody decided to flip a switch and it changed. So fans are going to be much happier now, right? Everybody loves draft picks and trying to build your own team, raise, grow your own prospects and such. Now it looks like, honestly, the Pelicans will at least be able to go that route. Well, look, I, let me just say this. And mm-hmm. go ahead. Gale, too, is that it's a little bit different in a situation where Griffin comes in, immediately gets the number one pick, and also two seasons in a row has basically the the biggest trade asset on the market, you know, um, that were acquired by Dell Dips, you know, like yes. he had, and, and he trade, and not only did he have the biggest trade chips, he was dealing with two desperate teams trying to appease mm-hmm. a star. Um, that we're we're gonna have to give up everything to satisfy the star player on their team. You know, Milwaukee's a, potentially could lose Giannis, and LeBron, you know, controls LA. So um, what they want, they those front offices have to get. Um, so I, I think he lucked out in a in a better situation than what Dell had, and of course Dell had a lot of bad luck with injuries. And you know, you could say maybe. He didn't get enough for Chris Paul when he traded Chris Paul, but that was his first trade was vetoed. Then he, you know, so he really had hardly any leverage in, in making a move with him uh, to get really what he wanted. Um, so, you know, I think he gets a little bit of a short end of the straw. And I'm, yeah. not, I'm not trying to mm-hmm. diminish what Griffin has accomplished because, but sure. he also came into a situation that was much better than the situation that Dell Demps came into. I just want to make one quick counterpoint, Kev, to your um, suggestion right here. And I know Fish will probably remember this too. That's going to kind of bring to light the way I just feel about the way Dell Demps approached, you know, draft assets in the future. Back in uh, 2015-16, right, coming off the playoff season, 14-15, where the team, you know, surprisingly crept in as, as the eighth seed, that miracle shot by Anthony Davis to beat OKC that year. Well, next year was a complete disaster. And, but you know what? Dell Demps didn't trade Eric Gordon away. He didn't trade Ryan Anderson away. And one thing Fish and I did learn was that, that he did have an opportunity yeah. to trade Ryan Anderson before the right. trade deadline for a future first-round pick from the yeah. Washington Wizards. I believe it was like for maybe two or three years down the road. Maybe, Fish, you'll remember better than I. But I want to say it was like a 2019 first-rounder. And he said, no, what good is that going to do me that far down the future? That's what was conveyed to Fish and I. So. Yeah, You know, when I hear stuff like that, it's hard to give him as much benefit of the doubt as I feel like you're giving him, Kev. Well, yeah, no, I'm, I, I think what too. Kevin's point, though, is that if the if the front office, if Tom Benson and Gail at that time or Mickey Loomis are saying, you got to make the playoffs right now. But they weren't year, making the playoffs fuck, that year. He no, should have at least saying, gotten I'm an just, asset for Anderson. I, That's was, all I'm trying I, to point I, out. Oh, I absolutely yeah. agree with you because both yeah. of them should have been traded because they both wanted out. They both contracts were expiring. You got nothing for them. But I don't know if he was – again, we do not know what he was permitted to do by Mickey Loomis. So that's why it, it, that makes it the hardest part of, the, of that whole time is that we have no idea why the sudden shift from ownership's position for Griffin 
is give him everything. Let's do everything. When we know that Alvin asked for some of these things, he's told us that he asked for better practice. We know he asked for certain things. He asked for certain players. Did Dell ever have that leverage? And that's not the point of this discussion, but it's just in evaluating Griffin, I think ultimately it is. He's been given, like Kevin said, he's been given the best situation possible. He has to be evaluated on what he produces with that. Um, but it is he, he. nobody's had more fortunate circumstances drop into their lap in their career. You would, you might even venture to guess going back to Cleveland and having LeBron drop into your lap and have other teams again at the mercy of having to give you their assets like a Kevin Love. And um, you already have Kyrie Irving there. So it's like Griffin has been gotten has gotten a lot of gifts. He's just we'll see if it pans out in New Orleans. Better to be lucky than good sometimes, guys. Or to be in the Illuminati. Let Fish get in on this. I I do want to say this. One thing that you can't underrate is part of the GM, executive vice president, um, part of their job isn't just to make the decisions within the constraints of the ownership. It's to be able to properly sell the ownership on the direction they're taking. And so, yes, Del Demps may have operated with certain constraints, but his, it, as much as it's the fact that he was operating under the constraints of the ownership, his inability to properly sell the ownership on, you know, building for the future and being patient, et cetera, that falls on him too, to a certain degree. Not to say that ownership isn't a limiting factor, but part of the job of the GM, of, of the person that's running the organization, is to sell ownership on the vision. And if you can't and you're saying, oh, I'm just so constrained and stuff, then one of the negotiating points that you're losing right now is between you and ownership. And if we look at a lot of the tr- trades Dell Demps made when you're like, man, it seems like he got bent over Daryl a couple times. That David Griffin has made, and everyone is like, "Man, he's just taking these teams to the cleaners." I mean, clearly, one of these people are are in a <laughs> having a, have a history of negotiating, you know, better deals. And a lot of you know the the success of the GM is his ability to to manage ownership. So, I mean, let's not act like that's not part of the job here. But but I would also say this. The Pelicans' ownership was never invested in the team. We know this. That is common knowledge, too, that they weren't particularly invested in the franchise, that it was basically a gift given to them by the NBA because they got it at a steal of a deal when they bought it. And Tom Benson certainly was not in the same capacity as owner um, with the Pelicans as he was involved with the But same. aren't you making and an argument diminished... for Fish then? If they're not invested, no, no. they don't care. You let Dell Demps do what he's no, best. No, no, and... I think that – no, what I'm saying is I'm not I'm not making an argument in either direction. What I'm saying is I don't know because there is there was the Pelicans and the Saints organizations are so tight lipped that if they never ever if they viewed it as and I think this is part of it too the Pelicans viewed it as we have Anthony Davis make it work and I think that's what they said to him. And they don't, they, if you don't have people who, who, I think that the whole thing that the big key was when Anthony Davis finally said he wanted out is that that was a wake up call. It slapped that franchise from the front office in the face. And they said, oh, maybe, maybe we do need an assistant general manager or a general manager and a vice president. Because remember, Dell didn't have any of that. 
He didn't have any of those positions. So, yes, there's a, certainly a failure on getting what you ask for, certainly. But if management doesn't understand that language because they're not invested in understanding, if I don't try to understand what you're telling me, that can also be part of it, too. I think there was a dysfunction on both sides and that when Griffin came along, the reason that he could come in is because the vacuum of them saying, we don't get it. We need somebody to come tell us. And Dell being right in front of them and having failed, you certainly aren't listening to him. He's failed. So you could have somebody else come in then and say, I'm only doing this. I have a ring on my finger and the o- I'm only coming here. If you give me these things that again, timing is everything. And Griffin came along at the perfect timing because the franchise was in a position publicly and internally to remake itself and to give someone that power. And that has to matter too, because when Dell came on, he came on under league ownership, then was given to the Bensons without them hiring him. So there was sure. never a real relationship there. With Griffin, that's their choice. Everything is their choice now. Before, they were given a coach. They were given a GM. They were given a team. Now they waited seven years to start remaking it in their own image. But that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> None of us have anything to add. Let's move yeah, on. <laughs> I think we've, we've, we beat that one in the ground. But we go into the draft. And before we get into Kevin has some other ideas, and we're going to go through those. But I want to hit the draft. Really quickly, and let's presume that the Pelicans don't move up first before we get into the trades. Let's say they're stuck at 13 and 24. At 13, there have been maybe five names that have stood out um, attached to the Pelicans at that pick based on the number a number of mock drafts that I've looked at. There's five names that always come up. And I'm going to get you guys instant feedback on these guys. I'll give you a quick I'll give the listeners a quick rundown, and then I'll get you guys feedback. So Killian Hayes. Um, 19 years old, point guard, shooting guard, 6'5". Um, I think he can play, you know, with Lonzo. I don't think you have to give up one. I think he can also drop that far because a lot of people are skeptical of him. I like, I'm going to get Fisher because I know Fish loves him the most. You can have him first. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control. But there is one thing you can control, and that's shaving your bush. Look, there's no need to be coy about it. You deserve to smell fresh and look great in all the right places. And Manscaped is here to help. They've got the Lawnmower 3.0, a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost. The ceramic blade and skin-safe technology is designed to reduce nicks and tugs on your fellas down low. It's waterproof, comes with an LED light so you can manscape in the shower, the dark, or in a dark shower, whatever floats your boat. They've got the Shears 2.0 Nail Kit, which is the perfect add-on. It's a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes tip tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. You can pluck eyebrows or trim nails in style. There's also the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. This will help you tame that summer swamp ass with natural hydrators and antioxidants. There's the Crop Reviver. It's a testy toner that's like having cologne that is designed for your balls. We won't judge if we catch you sniffing yourself. Go to manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing products. In fact, listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code armchair. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving that front trunk. The wait is over. A triple header of fun is upon us this week. Football's in effect. The NBA Finals are here. And the MLB playoffs are in full swing. You might go to some of these games, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on everything. 
From game spreads, totals, to teams, player, coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Um, man, if I've heard people compare Hayes to James Harden because he's very extremely left-hand dominant. Um, to me, um, when I've watched him, it's it's a little bit Nikhil, honestly. It's it's a it's a lot Nikhil. It's like Nikhil with higher upside because he's doing the things that we saw Nikhil do in summer league um, in Europe two to three years younger. So, um, and then I mean, there's there there's defensive potential there. I'm not to dig too far into it. There's there's questions on athleticism and the ability to finish at the rim over size. I mean, I feel like I'm just reading off Nikhil's um, strengths and weaknesses at this point. So, um, but I like Killian. I, I really like him. Um, I, I can see how you can say you know he can fit, you know, on off ball again. A lot of things with the same things that I would say about Naw, he's not, he doesn't have to be a point guard. He can do some, he, he can do catch and shoot, et cetera. So he, he's high on my list. I don't think he would be at the top of my list. Um, I mean, obviously if he slides all the way to 13, I would be surprised if the Pelicans passed on him. Uh, Kevin, do you have any thoughts on, on Hayes? Yeah, I love him. Um, I, the, the, Actually, you know, since we're comparing him to players that are on this team or were on this team, to me, he reminds me a lot of Tyreek Evans, but like, a, but a Tyreek Evans that plays better defense and has the ability to create a perimeter shot for himself better. But he, he's big for a guard, like yeah. you said, one hand dominant. Um, he powers over guys to get in the lane. He's got a lot of nifty moves around the rim and floater games, stuff like that. He, has a little trouble finishing sometimes inconsistent there. Um, but he, he can play make. Um, he's a more gifted passer than Tyreek was, but you know, Tyreek was also a, a, you know, a solid creator. Um, and like I said, he has that like hard nest footwork, which sets him apart from Tyreek that can create space for him, but he's not really a gifted shooter. Um, yet um, he can be, he's a better shooter at the free throw line and has a nice form. So it can come around, but I think he shot what, like 29% or 27% from three, um, yeah. uh, something like that. But, you know, he has a lot, and I love Tyreek. So for me, that, that's not um, a discredit to what Hayes is. I, I would love to have a guy like that that attacked the rim and collapsed the defense and can make a play out of it. And then if he develops a consistent outside shot because he's shown the ability to create space for himself to get the thought off with footwork. And he looks like he he projects to be a solid team defender. Um, I, I I'm all for that kind of guy. Another guy that can fill, you know, can get rebounds, can score, and can create for others, and can create for himself. You know, I think that's a perfect definition, and I'm very high on him. Ali, I want you to lead off on this part because there are three guys who are very similar in size, position, and talent that um, kind of are grouped together, Sadiq Bay, Patrick Williams, and Devin Vassell, all 6'8", um, in that range, all 3 and D type guys. Um, you know, you, you, none of them are particularly great shooters, um, but 
Mm-hmm. They they are all versatile defenders, guys who have potential to be um, catch and shoot guys, and guys who can rebound and push the ball even with the ball in their hands. So, um, what do you think about that group? Because we know again, wing defender is something that the Pelicans have to come away with either through a trade, the draft, or free agency. I love this group. A month ago, the clear number one was Devin Vassell out of Florida State. Some people picked him. He could probably go as high as, you know, maybe six to the Atlanta Hawks. Now I'm not so sure. Now it looks like Patrick Williams may be the guy that'll go the first out of those three who could go as high as six. (laughs) Um, They're both Florida State guys. Devin Vassell was the much better shooter uh, out of the two. And, And he's considered to be one of the best help defenders, maybe the best one coming out of this draft. His one-on-one defense can use a little bit of work, right? He, he's, he's maybe not as quick and as mobile as you need to be to be a very versatile, you know, defender of all types of wings. But I, I think he's got a pretty good um, ceiling in that being a reliable 3 and D guy. Because one thing he does with his three-point shot or really any jumper, he can shoot uh, pull-ups very well. Hands don't bother him. So that's, of course, valuable in the NBA where, honestly, the closeouts are better than in any other league, right? You have the best athletes, the best coached athletes. So I I really like him. I don't think the odds are that he's going to fall enough, even though he has been falling in the latest mocks. Um, Patrick Williams is the man. I think he is one of the two that the Pelicans may be eyeing if they trade up. Again, that's just me talking. I know you guys like Hayes and maybe some other guys. For me, I feel like it's all about getting a big guy and a guy that can defend, a guy that can rebound, basically can handle a lot of the weaknesses created by having two cornerstones in Ingram and Zion. So that's why Kanu and Patrick Williams sit up high. But the third guy you mentioned, Sadiq Bey, is is very interesting because I've seen him go as high in some mocks, as high as basically 11, right, to uh, the San Antonio Spurs, or drop down to Portland at 16 or even further on Mm -hmm. down. The book on him is that, David, honestly, he shot the ball, three ball, pretty well. I want to say he shot about a 45% clip. What's weird about him is his jumper. His form's a little bit funny. And that will remind you of, say, when Paul Pierce used to shoot, right? It's got a little bit of a hitch. It's a little bit slower. But, you know, being 6'8", he can get it off. Uh, The problem with him, though, is that he's, he's not very quick. He can't really create for himself. He can't beat guys off the dribble. So while he can, like, kind of give you a lot of things, he can't do really any one of those things really well. And that's why a lot of people say with NBA draft picks, you want to get somebody that can at least be exceptional or at least really good in at least one area. So that's why, like, I honestly prefer an Aaron Nesmith over Sadiq Bay. Some other people will take Bay because of that all-around game coming out of Villanova. But I, I'm not really there or that sold on him, say, if he does fall to 13. Just real quick, I'll tell you my, I just want to tell you real quick, my four guys uh-huh. that I have at 13 – is Nesmith, uh, or Nesmith, excuse me, Aaron Nesmith out of Vanderbilt, shot about 50% from three. He, he's We're going to get to Nesmith. We're going to get okay. to Nesmith. Nesmith, yeah. uh, if David, Devin Vassell falls to you, uh, and then I like Ty, Tyrell Terry. Nobody's really talking about him, but he's really shooting up the boards. He's a, he's a freshman guard out of Stanford. Came into college a year ago, six foot one, weighing about 160 or so pounds. He has supposedly grown a couple inches, added a couple inches to his vert, and his skill set is out of this world. He can shoot the ball on the move from way behind the line. Great handle. He basically has everything you seek in a skill, but he first didn't have the strength or the weight or the size. But now he it seems to be he's growing into a bigger body. So 
boy, that has really a lot of scouts and people salivating right now. So I wouldn't mind people taking a swing on him, the Pelicans, because he kind of compares to C.J. McCollum from what I've heard. So I don't think anybody would say no to that. And the fourth guy I'm looking at is um, Tyrese Maxey. You know, the more film you look at this guy from Kentucky, he's not going to be Tyler Hero. He's not going to be one of these Jamal Murray types that can splash the jumper from anywhere. But he kind of gives you vibes of Drew Holiday in that he gives you maximum amount of effort. He uh, is relentless. But one thing you like about him, he takes it to the hole and aggressively. And people say that his shot can improve, even though he didn't shoot for a good percentage. They say the form is there, and they pointed to several other things. But they think he's going to be a real successful NBA player. So if you're trying to replace Drew maybe on this roster with a good size, you know, defender who can develop a three-point shot, he makes sense. So, Kevin, I know you love Villanova guys because they tend to produce. And Sadiq Bay, you know, 21 years old, um, has the Villanova background. But I also know you love Mikael Bridges. And Devin Vassell, that's the guy he's been compared to most. His statistical profile fits very similar in with Devin Vassell. Does that make him more intriguing as a three and D guy to you? Um, or do you like, do you know enough about any of these guys that you have a, a strong opinion on any of them? I will say that, I, you know, I'm definitely not the college basketball guy of this group. Like, um, so I mean, but I have started really kind of digging into the draft a little bit to understand some of these guys. Um, like you said, I do love Nova guys. I think they always have a very high uh, floor, you know, um, and you can always count on them being contributors. They may not be starters or even like the eighth man, but when you put them in there, you can rely on them uh, to fill the role that they play. So I like Bay. I like the idea of getting Bay, but I am more intrigued by Vassal. I, I think you're you're dead on about um, the Bridges comparison from what I've seen of him, but also he's already a better outside shooter than uh, Bridges was. He doesn't have those crazy arms, but, um, you know, as putting the three in the three and D, he's got that more than the other guys. So um, I would be very high on him if the Pelicans stay at 13 for sure. Yeah, the one thing about Williams for me is that he's the, out of the three um, wing guys in that group. He's the most has the farthest to go offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, just his, his just offensive numbers are kind of horrid. Um, <laughs> just to be honest, um, the shooting from everywhere is like not that good. Like from everywhere. Um, so and his t- handle isn't particularly great either. Um, but you can see the talent. It's just that I think out of that, the three, he has the farthest to go. Fish, any thoughts on that group of three? Um, I'm highest on Vassal. I, I see what people see with Patrick Williams in that he's super young and he has like quintessential NBA body already. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to ask, you know, can he put on weight? Can he put on strength, et cetera? Like, so my thought is, is that if the Pelicans plan on drafting Patrick Williams from everything that I've read and heard, um, they're going to have to trade up to get him. And that isn't the guy I would be trading up to get. Um, if he, you know, if he comes to your spot, then, then okay. Um, so my hope would still be that it's going to be Devin Vassell. Um, he's, he's got a very nice looking shot. Um, watch some highlights of him you know, doing some things off the dribble um, mm-hmm. from 
near three point range. And then you, you understand, I mean, a six foot seven guy with a six foot 10 plus wingspan and you put him in between Zion and Ingram and you're going to ask him to do a lot less than he did in college um, on offense. And then you're going to put him in the Stan Van Gundy school of defense. Um, and honestly, I can't, the Florida state head coach, his, his name escapes me, but Leonard Hamilton. Yes. Um, I can see a very good defensive coach. Exactly. Very good defensive coach. Um, and you know, the guys who have come out of that Florida state program lately, very defensive oriented, very prepared to play NBA style defense. So, um, Vassal would be would be my preferred. Um, Sadiq Bay, um, I, I I love Villanova guys, but is he somebody that I'm blowing a, a, a lottery pick on? Um, no. If he happens to slide down the board, either him or Naismith, um, if the if either one of those guys happen to be there at 24, if the Pelicans still have that pick, great. But those wouldn't be guys that I would be very high on my targets at 13. Yeah. Nesmith was the guy that initially that everybody had tied to the Pelicans. Um, just a quick rundown on him and I'll get you guys feedback on that shooter. Six, six um, shot 52% um, in 14 games last season. His per uh, his numbers, just as, as his makes and attempts would have been number one in the sec by far um, as well. What is the percentage have been uh, sophomore, 6'6", six, six, a long wingspan, um, but coming off a broken foot, um, better on-ball defender than a team defender by most accounts, catch and shoot really strong, but not a ball handler, turns it over a lot. Um, I, at 13, I think it's a little high for him, but in this draft, you don't know. Um, Ali, what are your thoughts on Nesmith there? Yeah, I'm high on the guy to where I would happily take him at 13 if some of my um, uh, bigger choices or my more favorite choices are already gone off the board. You know, th- this guy was a winner. That's something I know, David, you'll like, right? Grub, you always talk about, show me a guy that won in high school. Well, he did that. I think his uh, three high straight school, championships. Three, yeah, won something like three straight titles. You know, he was voted as a high school player of the year. And of course, he was a big recruit to Vanderbilt. And boy, did his production jump in his sophomore year. I know he only played 14 games, and of course, people don't get too um, affixed with the uh, three-point percentage, right? 52.2%. That, 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 there, there was some regression that was coming his way had the season not been interrupted by the pandemic. But the point is, when you watch him play, he is a born knockdown shooter on the move around screens, basically in a J.J. Redick mold, but he stands six foot six. But that's something we all know. What I like about him is I honestly think there's potential for him to be an above average defensive player. Starts with a wingspan. He's six foot ten. He's also got a very good motor. You know, people give him a lot of credit for his work ethic, and he, and he's strong. So he's got well, all his those tools that are going for him. To where I think honestly, a teacher like Stan Van Gundy and his assistants, plus you get him with the right group of guys in, in the locker room. I really think you can make inroads for this guy where he could be a legit 3 and D player. Well, Kevin, I, you know, um, he is a Jerry Stackhouse disciple. We know Stack is not going to have weak guys. He's not going to have guys who don't fight and aren't tough. Stack, of course, has a relationship with Brandon Ingram. Um, 
the thing about Nesmith too is, yeah, if he he's he's a guy who's also shown the ability to move off the ball. He did a lot of that at Vanderbilt, moving off the ball, and his gravity was incredible um, as a shooter. And then finally, yeah, as an individual defender, his points per possession was very good. It was very good. I think it was point seven seven in ISO situations. So he was a, a good uh, defender with the potential, as Ollie said, to get better. Um, at thirteen, do you think Nesmith is value, or do you would you you know would it have to be that you're better, as Ollie said, and I understand understandably so, your better choices would have to be off the board. I I, I would take Vassal over him, but I would take him over Bay. I believe you know, I, I, like I mm-hmm. really wish that that uh, Patrick Williams will be gone before 13. So we don't even have to really talk about him. But that being said, say he slides down to, you know, if, if you get to about the 17, 18 pick, I wouldn't be opposed to trying to trade up from 24 to grab him. You know, he's, mm-hmm. I think he's a solid player that solves a lot of your problems um, on this team defensively and offensively um, allows you to play with a lot of flexibility um, so, you know, he's a guy that I do really like, um, but if it's between him and Vassal, I'll take Vassal, but I would take him over Sadiq Bay, I believe. Fish? Did we lose Fish? No, I'm still here. Okay. I mute myself because I don't want to be making noise in the background. I, I, I agree with Kevin. Um, I would have Naismith um, below Vassal, but ahead of Bay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are the other guys you guys would take? Because, yeah, there's a chasm of, like, guards. If you'd say they don't go for Hayes, would you guys prefer a Kira Lewis or somebody else that no. we haven't mentioned? No, I don't think they're not. No more small guards. guards. No, 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 <laughs> more, no. No more six foe. Like, anybody six four below that. And, and plus point guards, they already have the, so many point guards to develop. Like, and it's the hardest position in the NBA to learn. Man, you, they, they can't afford to have another babysitting job if they're keeping so many of these other guys. If you're keeping Naw, if you're keeping Jax, if you're keeping these guys that develop. Keeping who? Jax. Did you say Frank Jackson? No. No. Oh, okay. I was going to say, otherwise you're going to scare fish. Okay. No, I'm saying Jackson also, Hayes. Also, if we're drafting with these two picks, then you have to assume that Hill and Bledsoe are on the roster probably yep. going into the season. So. Yep. Add in a bunch of point guards, you know, that aren't qual- like star potential, like a guy like Killian Hayes, then that doesn't really make a lot of sense. No, it's either, it's either at that point at 13, if that's what the Pelicans are stuck with, it's, yeah, it's the best wing defender or the best, um, uh, best combo wing person or the best big. I don't think it's a point guard at all. If the, if they're, point guard targets are gone if, if it's Killian Hayes or whomever there's there's yeah. they're not to me the point guard depth is just not good enough to want to have to trade up for any of these guys so one thing I do want to say is I don't think the Pelicans should be drafting on need whatsoever um whenever you redraft a draft you say wouldn't it be nice if they just had the best player whoever yeah. that Sure. Um, and so um, one guy that I would be interested in them um, picking possibly at 13 would be um, this tall, lanky white guy, Alexei Pokuzevsky. I'm probably butchering his last name. Um, if it's a situation where he ideally he's he's willing to stash for a year, 
um, that might be something that the Pelicans um, could look into to see if he can't put some a lot of weight on his frame. Um, <coughs> that would be when you're talking about somebody who might who projects to have the highest upside given his size and and his shooting ability he would be he would be an interesting i mean honestly it's one of those things where you're absolutely swinging for the fences and it's either going to be a home run or a strikeout but this Um, is the draft to do that this is the draft to do that one and two when you're the pelicans and you have so much draft capital it should open you up to just we should take the best guy on the board who we've rated as this is the guy who's going to have the highest ceiling just swing for the fences because you don't need a whole bunch of like, you don't need like eight draft picks that turn into no. low role players over you hit once, <laughs> you know, you just hit once and you get the third guy with Ingram and Zion. And then the rest of the things will fall into place. Oh, I just think that there's the the guards that are available, the point guards in particular that are available. If that's what you know, there's none of them that I'm super hyped for no, out of the, the top. Two. I'm like I'm, it's, I'm it's not, not a great point guard draft to me. No, to me, af- after you get past um, Hayes and Halliburton, the rest of the point guards in the draft, I'm just like no. No, like maybe if one of those guys is there at 39 and they want to be on the two-way contract or something. Yeah, that's just that's the softest position in this draft is point guard. That's the softest one, and it is and it's that that's not saying a lot because this draft is really a lot of six six to six nine guys. That's what this draft really is. A lot of them who may or may not be rotational. Like you, you might hit some of these guys are absolute crapshoots that could turn into superstars. But there's so much either mediocre or bust potential in this draft, too. I agree. But um, so let's move on to the, the, the last part of this, because we do feel all of us agree that the Pelicans are likely to make more moves, whether they are one to one moves or multi team moves um, going forward. And Kevin has put together a number of deals. So what we're going to do to close this thing out um, is go through those deals and rapid fire vote them up or down. So, Kevin, the floor is now yours. Okay, so the first one, I'll go with one of the sexier ones. It'll be a three-team trade, um, and it it is contingent upon uh, James Wiseman going one or two to a team that isn't the Charlotte Hornets, and then the Pelicans would trade Jackson Hayes in 13 to the Hornets, 24 to the Rockets, Charlotte would send Rozier to the Rockets and they would get Westbrook and we would get the third pick. So they get Charlotte. I think Charlotte says, no, I don't think that's enough uh, compensation for them to take on Westbrook. Yeah. To take, well, I mean, they're moving back and I don't think that the, the Hornets are, are looking to, expend assets to take on the Westbrook contract. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like you take on 40 million of Westbrook, you, you give up your opportunity to take um a big that you really need. Uh yeah, I I, I would think that the Hornets turn that one down. Ollie. I think yeah, I think if he sweetened it though, Michael Jordan supposedly would be tempted. It sounds like that if they can't draft LaMelo Ball, they're very interested in getting a star, even though they have a glut. You know, right? Of, but of I heard guard, they really like guards. the Tonwu. 
I've heard they really like a Kong. No, I, yeah, that's who I think they're going to settle for. But they really want James Wiseman or Lamelo Ball in this draft. From I don't I understand why they would think Wiseman is better than a Kong because of Wiseman's feet and his. Because he's got a much higher ceiling, to be honest with you. Does and he? that's all Michael Jordan sees. <laughs> Do you think? I don't. I don't know if Wiseman has a higher ceiling. Oh, I, I, I think he, if he was to cash in on his seven foot one, seven six wingspan, and he's got that athleticism to boot, yeah. But he doesn't I have mean, great. That's the thing he does. But the chances are he's not going to live up to it. I don't think. I don't think his athleticism so. is great. That's the one thing about Wiseman is I don't think his athleticism is great. I think his strength is great. I think he has good touch. I think he he can be effective. But I don't think he's a, a superior athlete. I think so, he's Okong with just because of the size dimensions, right? It just adds that much more. But I'm not a believer, like I said, in him living up to I'm any not, of that yeah, potential. I was, I was bigger on Wiseman when I didn't know. His, like, the the more I saw of him, the the less I was – like, I thought his – I forget his teammate's name right now. Um, somebody help me out. Precious? Memphis? Yeah, Precious. Precious. Oh, yeah. He's, he gave far more effort. Oh, like yeah. it, it just watching yeah. him on a night to night basis. And I think he's a better athlete than, than Wiseman is. He's just not as big. Oh yeah. Precious is one of the best athletes in the draft. Yeah. But let me so, ask you this. So you guys feel like Charlotte is taking on the contract of Westbrook and they're not looking at Westbrook as a guy that they want as a star. No, that was the argument I was trying to make, Kevin. I do think they view him as an asset. Yeah, that's what I. That's what I'm but, thinking. What but mean. I think they would. They they would want something else because you're taking on forty million dollars of salary on a guard heavy team, and you're not going to get the a big. You're not going to get a chance at a big at all. And well, they really want a big. Jackson Hayes. I don't know if you missed that, but I was giving them Jackson Hayes in third. Yeah, yeah, they're not getting a big at all. That's what I'm saying. They're not getting a big. <laughs> I picked up on that earlier. I just didn't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so next all day on that one. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right, so the next one is Bledsoe plus thirteen to the Knicks for number eight. Do it. Done. Do it. Do it. Done. Do it. Are you kidding? Do me? it. But from the Knicks perspective, would you would you think they would do that? It depends on who's there at eight, and do they really want? Any- I will say yeah. yes because they're rumored to grab Obi Topin. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Fish. Go ahead. No, I mean, because what I've read is Thibodeau's, um, Thibodeau's pushing for win now. Win, win now. now. Yes. And told them that's, he, that's, yeah. that fits right into it. So, yeah. He does I not mean, want rookies. Thibodeau has told the Knicks flat out that he expects to win this year, and he is demanding vets. So I don't think that he wants a top 10 pick. I think he wants a veteran, and I think, yeah, he would be much happier with that. And, but and Bledsoe, would you, do you think that they would have, honestly, from a Knicks perspective, we know the Knicks history, but Leon Rose, Tom Thibodeau, they're going to see Eric Bledsoe, high volume, low efficiency, degrading defensive skills, not a pass first point guard. Do you really want that on that team? I think they would see what the Pelicans, I mean, what the Pelicans saw in him in the contract is it's not a long contract. It's not cost prohibitive. The Knicks do have a ton of cap space because most of the guys they signed last year we're on one or two year deals. So the Knicks don't have a problem absorbing Bledsoe's deal. You get a veteran who can play defense, which is what Thibodeau wants to do. And he can also score, which is something Nilakina and Alfred Payton cannot do. Um, so I think that the Knicks would take it if it was in, if they already had a plan to accumulate 
another asset down the road. So you, it may have to be somebody else involved, but I think straight up, <laughs> even with that, if Thibodeau could get a veteran guard in a market that does not have a ton of them now available, I think he'd do it. Man, I'm just seeing Knicks fans revolting again in the streets. <laughs> the Knicks, are gonna re- Knicks fans are going to revolt no matter what because they're going to lose. But, or, it's going to suck this year anyway. Yeah, but the I mean, thing is thoughts. that they're only moving back from 8 to 13. And right. I think that's substantial in this draft. I really do. That's just me. Not for the Knicks. Not for the Knicks because the <laughs> Knicks' goal – no, seriously. The Knicks' goal was LaMelo. That was their goal. They wanted yes. LaMelo. And if they yeah. can't get LaMelo, they wanted a Kongwu. I know they want a Kongwu. They're no not going to get either one of those guys. I heard that Toppin got a promise from Leon Rose. I've heard that, that, um, that of the bigs that are there, that Thibodeau likes a Kongwu. Why would you defensive. want a Kongwu anyways if you're sold on Mitchell Robinson? Because they, they, they want to put a Kongwu. They would say they'd have Mitchell at the five and a Kongwu at the four. Oh, damn. Instead well, of Julius. Tibbs, Tibbs is becoming the modern-day Monty Williams. Jesus, <laughs> Pete. Yeah, and they still because they think they think they still think Mitchell Robinson can expand his game. That's the thing is they think Mitchell Robinson can be a stretch, and that you could put a Kongwu in the uh, in the post, and that Mitchell can shoot the three. But on defense, you've got two guys who can run around and block shots and rebound. Man, I smell a holy trinity. You throw Frank Nicotina out there too. Oh boy. <laughs> All right. So the next one is uh, George Hill, thirteen and twenty-four to the Cavs for five and Larry Nance Jr. Ooh. Wait, say that again, Kevin. What was going to Cleveland? George Hill, 13 and 24 to the Cavs for five and Larry Nance Jr. I love it, but Cleveland says no. They've already got their backcourt, Garland and uh, Sexton. Right, but they don't have a backup veteran guard. They don't they, have a lot of things. They may, <laughs> they may want to break up Garland and Sexton. Because they're not yes, smart. I could see that. I could see that. Those two are not smart. One of them is is dumber than the other, and you got to pick out which one you. Sexton's a proven scorer to me. Kind of. I think Garland was a freaking bomb of a greedy pick. as fuck. Sexton is greedy <laughs> as fuck. Yeah, there is, but you know what? He can still for their own. <laughs> David, he reminds me of a Jamal Crawford when he was young, a little bit. I talked to Antonio Daniels. About Jamal Crawford had to go like four different teams before he could figure it out. More like Jordan sure. Crawford. <laughs> I think six. Anybody else got anything on this? Unrepentant one? I mean, gunner, the Pelicans would do it, right? The Pelicans would absolutely do it. Yeah, yeah I would think so. I mean, what? Yeah. what Fish else is already hit accept button. You might have to give oh. another player to the Cavs, though. You might have to give sure. them another player. Sure. Hey, I think this is like, a good time for Fish to describe why the Pelicans should try and get Larry Nance because he's only been talking about it. Go every ahead, day Fish. On go ahead, talk up Larry Nance for a sec. All right, so Larry Nance, one, um, he's a big man in the NBA who can play competent defense. And I don't know if you've watched the Pelicans, but they, they need those guys. Um, but so so <laughs> people look at Larry Nance, and he used to be listed at six foot nine, and then they, they came out with the new rules, and now he's listed at six foot seven, which doesn't make any sense to me because he was measured at six foot nine at the NBA combine, like in front of everybody, like that's how tall he was. So, but supposedly the Cleveland Cavs decided it would be in their best interest to say he's two, two inches shorter than he is. But if you haven't watched Larry Nance, um, a couple things, one, he is a massive contributor on the defensive glass. One of the things that, um, 
Grubb and I both have been pounding on the table. Mm -hmm. We need somebody who can contribute on the glass. He has been working on extending his game beyond the arc. Um, his his three-point um, attempts have grown substantially as uh, uh, in, in the past two seasons. Um, in his past two years with Cleveland, he had, he's shooting 34% behind the arc. Um, he, like I said, he's a, a very competent um, rim protector. Um, I don't know if – it jumped off the screen to me when the Pelicans were playing the Cavs last year that he would come into the game and the Cavs looked more like a basketball team because he was playing like he gave a damn and Tristan Thompson was playing like he was collecting a paycheck. Yeah. Um, and, and that made a big difference. But the thing is, is that he's a big man that the Pelicans could immediately trade for. He's their clear third, big, the first guy, big man off the bench. You can play him at power forward with whoever they end up, you know, obtaining as their stopgap center. You can play him with Zion. You can play him with Melly. And he's going to work with all of those things because he can, he, despite his listed height, he has a massive wingspan. He can get up off the floor. He's a great shot blocker. He's a, a, a an excellent defensive rebounder. And he's working on stretching the floor a little bit. He's on a contract that descends. Um, so it's I think it's around like it's somewhere between 10 and 12 this year. But mm-hmm. Around ten or just under ten in his last season, mm-hmm. um, and I mean he's he's a good basketball player. The Pelicans still need more of those guys. And he's one thing I would, yeah, one thing I would say he's also a good passer. I think that needs to be mentioned. He is a, a great good connector. passer. He is a very good passer, and I, I would also point out this. And this is to me this he is he is a almost as an impactful impactful offensive player as he is a defensive player. And it's very subtle because, yes. again, for his career, his average offensive rating when he's on the – the average offensive rating when he's on the court is a 120. His average, the average defensive rating is a 109. Last year on the Cavs, which is one of the worst teams in the league, he was a 122 to a 113. Yeah, and before the, that, two, the Lakers. Yeah. Two years ago in 2017-18, dude was 127-105. Like – yes, these are not perfect measures, but when you see those kinds of gaps, you have to take, and even if you take the, the largest grain of salt you can find, that's impressive. He's an underrated role player. And wouldn't yes. you love to matching up, match him up with winning. Josh Hart? Who affects winning. Like, well, that's the thing. Is he affects he and Josh Hart are buds, man. Get them together. One thing I would say about him, too, is like, um, now he's a lot more athletic than both of these guys and a better defender than for sure than one of them. Um, but he would be that he could be that sort of Lamar Odom or Hidu Turkaloo, you know, in the, in the Stan Van Gundy system, because he is a guy who can play make, he defends and he can shoot the outside shot and score from multiple, you know, multiple levels. Um, and he does. And he's great in transition too. I think yeah, that's a little bit of a stretch because those guys were like confident playmakers. I don't see Nance being as such, I he's a good but guy. I know what you're trying to say, Kevin. Yeah, I think I think an emotion based offense, he can be a very effective playmaker. Absolutely. Yeah, I just you know, wouldn't like use that two, exact comparison. That's all for the yeah, listeners. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I, I mean, said, he's a two dribble guy. Kind of gifted in some of the areas, but he does all. 
and he's gifted in other areas that those guys weren't gifted oh, in. Oh, for sure. God, especially defensively. Yeah. You know, he provides yeah, outside P- shooting, inside scoring, defense, and playmaking. That, you know, I'm trying to think of a good comp right now on the fly. I can't think of one yet. Right. So honestly, it's like he, he honestly offensively, his game is, is who do I want to say? I honestly I wanted to compare him kind of to a, a offensively a, a lower version of Ron Artest on offense, where it's a physical, athletic kind of thing, but he's athletically he's better than Artest, but he does but he's as strong. At six seven, two forty-five, Nance is way stronger than you think. And but he can, you know, our test wasn't a guy who could take you off the dribble, but two dribbles, if he got a step on you, he would get by you and get to the rim. And he had a better outside shot than people wanted to give him credit for. Um, Nance is kind of like not as as fully polished because our test was a guy who could score 25 a night in the NBA at his peak. But I think he has a similar type of game to that, and that you're not asking him to do a whole bunch with the dribble, but he can play make and he's you know, he's going to defend multiple positions. I think you could even defend threes with him at times too, which is something our test was good at was defending big guards and big forwards as well. Um, that's what I, I really think of him as like an athletic around our test with less of an offensive game. What uh, you guys were talking about, you know, s- some of his stats, something that jumps out to me on a, admittedly a bad Cavaliers team is the fact that the last two seasons, the Cavs are better with Nance on the floor than when he's off the floor. And when he's on the floor, they are a substantially better Subst- rebounding team. Substantially better rebounding team. And a lot of the times he's coming in for Tristan Thompson, who is not a bad rebounder in himself. Right. Um, and that and and that says a lot about, you know, boxing out and understanding defense, not chasing you know, bad shot block attempts. There, there's a lot going on with that. But over the past two years, you come on the floor and on a on a team that's kind of a disaster, they get markedly better overall in terms of point differential, you know, in net rating, but also specifically to the Pelicans' needs, you improve markedly rebounding the ball. Um, and th- those are – those somebody that makes your team bit better and especially please can the Pelicans just get the defensive rebound. Um, and, you know, having Larry Nance and Josh Hart as your sixth and seventh man would just be incredible in my mind. You'd have six in six years. He's never been, he's never had a zero or a negative value of a replacement player in six seasons. And for mo- for, uh, you know, most rookies and young players to do that, consistently and for last year the last two years to have a three combined 3.4 playing for the Cavs <laughs> like you know I think a lot of people when you first say Larry Nance they're gonna be like and but no no go look and see how impactful he's been through I think the Lakers undervalued him when they gave him away and I think <laughs> the Cavs know what they have I think that's part of the reason they have cut down his height is to make him look like an undersized big when he is not an undersized big, he is strong and he is incredibly long. Look, I always hated the Lakers. When when Nance was on that team, I was watching that team every night. I enjoyed. I did too. Yeah, I did too. Like, they they were fun. I I think people will really enjoy Larry Nance because not only can each is he a good outside shooter that I forget what corner it's from, but he's over forty percent from one of the corners on threes. But he's also, you know, that athletic lob threat that gives you those exciting plays as well, and he's a good shot blocker. So, 
he's a really fun player. And like you said, outside of that, even being on bad teams, he's somehow still a winning player. And I've heard yeah, his work a- ethic is out of this world too. He was he's, the reason he's got a three point shot, a reliable one now, is because he's put in hours and hours of work in the gym the last couple summers. Twenty seven percent of his three point attempts were corner threes last year, and he made forty two percent of them. I think it just became a Larry Nance pod, by the way. <laughs> well, I mean, I, look, I'm that's that. yeah, I'm I'm cool with that. I mean, because I mean, look, he's a piece that seems acquirable that really fits what the Pelicans need. So it should and be a he, guy that we talk about a lot. The Cavs oh. are not making a jump this year. They're not. And if you could give, if you could give away, yeah, if if you're also through in Jackson Hayes, I wouldn't care. Like, take him. If they ask for no, I'd be like, take him, take him, take him. Because I'm, st- I still have long. Oh, look, if if I'm giving up that, look, give 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 me give me Larry Nance because I can keep Larry Nance for four years as a reserve, and he will no, do I'm nothing. With you. But Number good five and Larry me. Nance sounds so. He will good do nothing but good things for me, and then I can still get a my my point guard or my big. I can right. still get another big. Right, exactly. My, come on, you're gonna have man. your choice I'll, of Williams, Hayes, or William, or excuse me, O'Connor. Yeah. Come on, like if I'm the Pelicans, yeah. Get me Nance, yeah, and the five. I'm with y'all on that shit. Like we can stop right there. I don't want to talk about nothing else. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> Kevin, give us another one. Let's okay. bring that uh, grub down from his high. Hold on, wait, wait, wait. I got to jump in on on Nance really quick. Nance at the NBA Combine measured at six foot eight and a half, and he had a seven foot two wingspan. So that's what I'm saying. He's incredibly that, that, long. That's a big man. Mm. So the next one is a team we've talked about a lot: the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, and we know that they want to add some veterans. They don't really want to keep the sixth pick. Um, so this deal is a little bit off of what their desires are, but they can use what we give them to get what they want. Um, it sounds like they're going to get Gordon Hayward at some point. Um, but I'm thinking Hill, George Hill plus 13 plus 24 for six and Dwayne Dedman. Um now they don't necessarily want those picks, but they could if they add Hill and Hayward, they can also then package thirteen and twenty four to go get another player that fits what they want. Um, and not that they couldn't do that with six, but George Hill also seems like a very nice fit next to Trey Young. I think Atlanta would come back if if they were really interested. I think Atlanta would come back that they want. Um, Bledsoe and 13 sure. for yep. Because they want the defender. They want a yeah. defender. And they I would, would take love Bledsoe. that. I just figured Hill would be more attractive to them because of his outside shooting and because he wouldn't fit their tempo. Leadership. He wouldn't fit their tempo. But sure, if they want Bledsoe instead, that's even better for me because I'd rather take Yeah, I Hill. think they would take Bledsoe. I think they I would know. take Bledsoe. I've been hearing they really want like true, no, yeah, no nonsense veteranship or veteran. Presence, so that to me screams George Hill over Bledsoe. But would yeah, would would, would it? You have to really change the way that they play in the half court when Hill comes on, though. Now he does allow Trey Young to play off the ball better than Bledsoe does. That's the one thing is that you give Trey Young opportunities where he doesn't have to have the ball and he can just cut off the screens and you hit him on the run. Then yeah, George Hill would be the one who'd be better at setting that up. I would be interested, though, in asking for, instead of Deadman, going after one of their wings, especially if they're going to add Gordon Hayward, right? Yeah, well, I don't think they're going to give up six and, like, a herder. Yeah, yeah they're not giving up DeAndre Hunter. Or, no, no. You know? They wouldn't do it. 
Nope. Yeah. No, no, those guys are still on rookie deals. I mean, I would say so we can send send another asset though, right? I don't know. But or, they're not going to give up those guys on rookie deals when you're taking on because they because Hayward. The whole thing is if you take on Hayward, you're also signed to an extension. That's the deal. Is that everybody who's that like the, the Hayward thing is you have to give them an extension. Yeah, that, I don't know because that's what I've been hearing a lot of is that the Hayward part is. It's a sign trade. Yeah, you to get him, you got to sign him. Because hmm. he wants his money. Dude, he wants his money. I get it. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. He wants his money. He doesn't have to leave Boston. He signed his deal. So if there, if if you want to make it work for him, you got to make it work. Yeah, I'm just looking, though, from Lance's perspective. Say it's Bledsoe and Hayward to that group. I don't know. That, that seems weird. But you, no, everybody's I'm... desperate. Everybody's desperate. That Milwaukee just showed you what desperation smells like. John Collins likes his offense. Trey, you know, does. And you're adding Bledsoe and Hayward. That's all. I don't know. I, I feel like that's going to throw a wrench in their whole rebuilding or growing, well, I should say. Aspect. Cam Reddish is going to want touches. You know what I'm saying? Like, these are dudes that want touches, too. DeAndre Hunter doesn't necessarily look for them, but he, does, he doesn't come to the NBA to not or two. So that's all those guys, yeah, it's a weird. It, it is weird in Atlanta, but I don't know I what they're building feel. anyway. That's why. But I remember, they had Vince better. Carter as their last veteran. They raved about him. They want to replace that. I don't think they want two high usage guys. Is my argument? Yeah, I feel like he'll just fits in better. Like he's yeah, a guy that fits. I in do too. Mm-hmm. Play, you know, and uh, and then he get you know he has that outside shot and he defends and he playmakes. So you know, and, and again, Deadman is somebody that I've liked. Um, he can shoot the three better than people want to give him credit for. Because like yeah. Sacramento just was a bad fit, he did not belong in Sacramento. But they gave him wasn't the happy there. He was injured too, right? I don't know. Yeah, yeah it was a mess. Sa- I don't understand why they took him though. They threw a shitload of money at him for, and he just didn't fit with their roster. I never thought he was going to fit in there. I said that last year. And it opens up more money for Atlanta to for the Hayward deal, and the and yep. Hill makes less money than Bledsoe. So like you know. And you're going to extend one of those, if not two of those young guys. Right. Would so, you guys yeah. feel good about giving Deadman the starting job? I mean, he's 31 years old, pretty much been a backup his whole life. That would, I mean, if you're going up for six then you're get, and you get Deadman, then either you've determined, you've already talked to Derek Favors and you know you're signing him for less because all the birds, you have his rights. So you already agreed to a deal or you're taking a big in the draft at six. I mean, you can, still get, a, you can still get a decent center and, free agency too i mean i don't know that that necessarily demands that you get um you know you bring back favors but i mean dead i mean look think about it i mean it still seems like zion's gonna play a lot at at the five regardless so even if deadman is a starter is he gonna play more than 25 25? minutes yeah Yeah. i think you're right it's 25 minutes you're not playing him 35 25 minutes most he's gonna play regardless if he starts or not because like. if you're giving what ten minutes a night design at center, a few yeah. in each half, not no yeah. long stints. And if Jackson's on the team, you're still going to be playing Jackson. Playing him twelve to fourteen minutes. Yeah. So yeah, okay. That fits Kevin, out. you got any Is other it, good ones? Oh yeah, I got I got several more. All right, so these two are basically the same. So I just lumped them together. It's Hill and or thirteen plus twenty four. So either. It's 13 with either Hill or 24 for uh, four or seven 
for all three of that for four or seven, basically, which is the Bulls at four and the Pistons have seven. I think I the Pistons Bulls, are more. Bulls say no. Bulls yeah, say yeah no. that's what I think. I think the Pistons might say yes because they get two picks and they need it just so much and they get a, you know, a solid veteran and he'll, you know. I mean, the Pistons have um, Weaver as their new GM, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I think he hasn't that studs yet, but that's that's going to come. Um, and so they might value quantity in this draft. For needs picks. They could if they miss on LaMelo. They were, one of the, they were the surprise team to work him out outside of the top three that worked out LaMelo, and he agreed to They need to a star it. so badly. They need somebody but they whiff to on somebody him. buy a ticket. Yeah, yeah they whiff the on him. This is contingent on the guys that they really want being gone by the time it gets to seven, and they're not able yeah. to trade up. And then if Lamelo and Patrick Williams is off the board, I could maybe see it because I've heard that they really like Patrick Williams too. Okay. Yeah, if those two are off the board, Kevin, that might be possible. I don't. I haven't heard of a third name linked to them in a draft. Okay, and then yeah, the next that's one. the tough spot. That anybody, um, well, let me just say this real quick. Anybody yeah. from six to ten, yeah, they could, their draft plans could change very quickly based on who jumps up and gets taken in that first four. And now, me, you better believe Griffin and the Pelicans are going to be thinking and looking at the draft the exact same way. Yeah, teams are going to be shedding their picks immediately. It's going to be a sell-off if one of those guys that that is they expected at eight goes at two which could happen in this draft because the Warriors could sell their pick. You know, to get, we've already talked about that on other pod is that the Warriors could sell that pick for a vet and some other team gets two and takes LaMelo at two, you know, or something like that. And the whole draft, it's going to be, that's when you, yeah, Griff could take advantage of that market. All right. To me, this next one is highly likely if the Pelicans, if, if the guy, one of the guys the Pelicans are heavily targeting uh, is, is available in this range and it doesn't look like he's going to drop further um, is Hill plus 13 for 10. So the Suns would get the 13th, move back three spots, but they get George Hill as a rotational uh, shooting guard slash point guard to come in, you know, to play alongside um, – Chris Paul and uh, Devin Booker. I think that's like a no-brainer for them. Hmm. It depends on what what's at ten. What are you trying? That, that it's, it would really have to depend on what's at ten. Yeah, it's yeah. Vassell or Williams there. Yeah, that's a maybe trick. Hayes. That's, you don't make that trade till like eight. You don't right. until eight exactly. been taken. I mean, you don't make that trade yeah. till ten. I think you know you need yeah. to know like, who's there on the Pelican side. I think for the Suns, it's a no-brainer. I mean, look, think of what they have. Mm. They they're probably they're very highly linked to Gallinari. They have Cam Johnson already. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. They have uh, Mikael Bridges, yeah, uh, yeah. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton. Yep. That you know, so they're pretty set. But getting that veteran backup shooting guard uh, slash you know combo guard too. leadership, they could bring back Sarge as a as a big to have his bird rights. And then they just move down three spots in 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 a, in a wing heavy draft. Um, I think it's a no brainer for the Suns. But uh, here, here's why, Kevin. Here's why I like it for them because they're supposedly rumored to want to get a kind of a backup or the future point guard, uh, and they've been linked to Kira Lewis Jr. 
who I think would be there at 13 for them, right? If that's their target, and that's been kind of rumored to Sarver, be maybe him at 10, Sarver's why don't wait till 13? Sarver would definitely save a, another couple of bucks. You know what I'm saying? Rob, <laughs> yeah, you Sarver also say that's right, by drafting him, your guy at a few spots well, lower, you're right. I mean, it's but they're at Hill, so not really, because Hill's But that $7 million is something perfect. that you're – I mean, that $7 million is a bringing you a – you're getting two players anyway. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're getting Hill and that pig. So you're getting a veteran presence behind Chris Paul, which is good because that means there's still an adult on the floor with those kids. And that's, that's something that you that I think would be of value to Phoenix is to have yeah. more adults around those very young players who just tasted some kind of success and might think, oh, we're the shit. And they're going to need as many people around to say, hey, not so fast, kids. Right. What do you think, yeah, David? Think it's a no-brainer for the Suns. It just depends on who's there at 10 if it makes it worthwhile for the Pelicans. No, I mean, it makes a lot of sense from the Suns' perspective, either if they're – really shooting for Kira Lewis or if they want, you know, just a wing and they're not terribly, you know, if they don't like, I don't know who they would have highly rated over one or the other. Um, given that they already have bridges um, and cam Johnson. So it, it, it's a deal that makes sense for both sides. If the guy that the Pelicans really want has fallen to 10 and then honestly, the, the, the guy that I would think that might make a lot of sense would either be if a Kongwu had somehow slipped that far. I don't expect him to. I would think that um, the Wizards at nine is probably mm-hmm. his floor. Yes. Um, but Killian Hayes could slip that far. I, yes. I don't expect Halliburton's going to slip that far, but Killian Hayes could slip that far. And the the Phoenix Suns could look at that and be like, well, we can solve the backup point guard issue and then still get a wing. Or, you know, you know, I, I think that they would they would take that. Okay. Um, and then I have Bledsoe. Do plus one the, more. Let's just do one yeah, more. This will be the last one. Oh, shit. So okay. pick your favorite, Kevin, of your remaining ones. All right. Well. We're going on two hours. Fish is right. We yeah. Got so, yeah, off. we got to wrap. <laughs> All right. And I got a well, dental appointment. I'll give you a big splash one then. Bledsoe plus 13 and seconds for Miles Turner. I can't see Indiana wanting to do it. Yeah, I don't think Indiana does that deal. No, I don't think think Indiana is interested in that. They need a better player. Since that one's a quick one, how about this real quick? Bledsoe plus Darius Miller plus 24 for Steven Adams. Nope. I don't think so with the way that building that team now because they just got Rubio and they've got uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander and they get so I, I don't I don't know I don't think I think Ford gets them excited enough for it no I just think that Bledsoe they view him as they can move him for something else too you know but why, <laughs> let's but just keep passing Bledsoe around <laughs> I don't they wouldn't I don't think they'd give up Adams for that though like Adams at some point you still have to put a at some point, you still have to put a, a team on the floor. Yeah. And the thing that Adams gives, you know, a really young, young team around him it's is, I mean, he's, a, he, he's always going to rebound. He's he's going to finish possessions. He's going to defend. He's going to be in the right spot. He's going to be making the calls so that, you know, yeah. they navigate pick and rolls. Like, there's there's real value in, in having that guy back there when you have a lot of young 
young players in front of him. And he does expiring yeah. too, even though he's making twenty seven million. Wow. Right. Yeah, I don't think OKC would do that though. Yeah, they'd want more. They would want more. You get one more since these have been real fast. So give okay. the, the more, last one, one I'll more. give you then is uh George Hill plus twenty four for PJ Tucker. But you have to see the thing with PJ is you got to sign him, and he wants money, and he's been taking a beating. And I worry that his phys- that physically, you, if you sign him, he's gonna break down because he's been worked hard at center for two years now. And I just I, I I couldn't spend that money on him and feel good about it long term. Yeah, he's. I don't know. I I think he could be a culture guy in this locker room. With the money it's going to cost, it's too much. He wants he wants his payday. That's what he's been asking for. Is his pay? He wanted he wants a big extension. And at his age, and the fact that he's taking the the, the physical abuse that he's taking, I don't care about like, us resigning him. I want him to spend a year with Zion personally. That's yeah, why I. That's what I was thinking. Like even if you don't resign him, I mean he you can't tear up his contract and give him like a bunch of money right now. So he's stuck making what he makes for this year. Um, and is that he was a my problem fault. though? That's what I'm worried about. Is he PJ? a problem if he's no. not getting paid? If he ain't getting paid, look, everybody's, a, this is a business. And if you don't think New Orleans is going to pay you and they're bringing you in and you're going to be, you're not even going to get the he's same in the kind of year, role. David, you, you got to He's not going to get the role year. he got he's with the Rockets. He's playing for his next contract. He's not going to get the showcase that he got with the Rockets. At least in the Rockets system, he knew he, the minutes if, he was going to get. If Zion shows improvement or w- the Pelicans have a better season and Tucker's pl- a part of it, I think that, that that helps his case than a floundering Houston team going nowhere. I think he, I think he would if, – if he could get the check, if, he would get, if somebody's willing to give him the check, I'm telling you, he's never been paid. He's Fish, never been what's, paid. Your sen- what's your sense of this? Um, mm, I'm – I'm not a very big fan of uh, of playing future assets for a year of PJ Tucker. The Pelicans aren't at a place where they should be doing that. Okay. All right. Okay. All right, Fish have- Grub, you guys have got got to get in the gym. Teach Zion how to play defense. <laughs> that's that's Stan's job. That's what they do. Broad Stan, school, like I said, school's gonna be in session. The Stan Van Gundy School for way uh, You defenders. know, it takes more than just coaches. Yes, and it's going to, I mean, it's going to take time. It's a project. Learning NBA defense is not easy, especially in these kids have not been coached on it ever, ever. They've been getting by on athletic ability, and now they're having to learn how to play defense. It's, it's, it's that. And how much are they going to commit themselves to it? What did they do in this offseason? And that, that, whenever we criticize Jackson Hayes, and that becomes a thing, and people always say, why are you picking on Jacks? It's I – in these two months, and that's going to be the thing for Zion. It's going to be the thing for Nikhil. It's going to be the thing for Ingram. What did they do over the last two months to evaluate themselves on the defensive end of the floor? What did they get from Stan Van Gundy? What has he sent them? And I'm sure he sent them possessions already. I'm sure he's already had film cut up for these guys to see and to understand what he wants out of them. How much did they process this in this short amount of time mentally? And how ready are they to do it physically on the court day in and day out because they're not going to be given the leeway. And Stan already said it. I'm not going to let your youth be an excuse. So these guys have to commit to that. And I hope that they did. The draft is tomorrow, y'all. Yep. So we will be back tomorrow. We will do um, 
Uh, we're going to start in the second round after the Pelicans have gotten through the first round. So we have an idea and an understanding of what's going on there. Um, Ali and I will also likely be listening in um, uh, with the Pelicans and, and hopefully we'll be able to talk. One of us will be able to ask Griff some questions on draft night or Trajan or whomever is made available. Um, but we will be back again tomorrow to discuss the first round of the, the at least through first round and get some live reactions, hopefully of whatever happens if the Pelicans do have second round picks. With a four-hour episode. Yes. I don't know how long it'll go. <laughs> well, I mean, the Pelicans, if they do end up using all of the picks they have. Now, I think they, did they, they gave away 39 and 42. They, they gave, gave away the second 60. round is they gave to Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they gave so. away 60. Um, so 39 and 42, both of those should be done, even if we do a standard, like, hour-long pod. Um, th- those should both be taken care of by the end yeah, of, well, of the pod. Yeah, we, we, I mean, we let the first couple picks in the second round go by, and then we'll get on. And we'll do just knock this thing out. All right. All right. So for Kevin Berrios, David Fisher, and the editor-in-chief, Ali Cosell, I am David Grubb. And enjoy draft night. Let's go, Pell. for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today